Does prophecy still exist today? Well, that's a very, very difficult question because it's one of those that is at the heart of many debates. It's, it has divided Christians so much so that denominations have been formed uh, in response to the way that this question is answered. Well, I think some important uh, issues that are part of this question should be raised, and I want to raise them by asking uh, some initial questions before I answer that question. And the first of which is, what was the function of prophecy in both the Old and New Testaments? The second one is an even more pressing question, I think, and that is, what constitutes prophecy? If we did a biblical survey of trying to deal with these questions in relation to the existence of prophecy today, uh, it would look something like this. You could look at the prophet Moses, whose words to the Israelites was that a prophet is to be judged or qualified based on the rightness or the wrongness of something that he has predicted or foretold. Deuteronomy 18. In the New Testament, the author of the letter to the Hebrews upholds that prophecy or the office of prophet is an intermediary or an intermediate position that ultimately gives way to Christ himself, who is the last word from God. Hebrews 1. Peter also gives a helpful definition of prophecy that it is not based on a person's interpretation of a thing, but rather prophecy is the pronouncement of God's interpretation of a thing, 2 Peter 1. Paul also states to the Corinthians that prophecy is a gift that would initially function in the church, but ultimately it would cease. It would cease, but the remaining things would be faith, hope, love. Now that issue there is normally at the center of this whole debate because nobody can argue whether or not prophecy is going to cease. The question is, has it? Has it ceased yet? That is the the real issue with the question, does prophecy exist today? (laughs) If we just said, does prophecy exist? Well, the easy answer would be to grab our Bible and say, well, yeah, it's right here. Prophecy does continue to exist, but does it exist today? Does it function today? Well, there are all kinds of exegetical interpretive issues with all of those passages that I just referenced in passing. And there are issues that can't even be fully developed in this post, this video here. But the point is that, in my mind, Scripture does seem to indicate that the function of doctrine, the function of truth within the church is found in apostolic teaching. So there's a centerpiece of doctrine, of teaching, of truth as functioning within the church. And it is teaching, or in this case, the record of scripture itself, that is the source of our faith and practice as Christians. Now that is in contrast to ongoing prophecy. And what I'm saying is, it is teaching that is the function and the heartbeat of 
the church. We are to hold fast to the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints. We are to test people by whether they are false teachers or not. It is the teaching, it is the doctrine that is the centerpiece of the church, not, first and foremost, prophecy that we read in the New Testament. The Westminster Confession of Faith, for example, uh, refers to this idea of faith and practice uh, in relation to revelation or in relation to prophecy in this way from chapter 1. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Now, if you come from a charismatic context, uh, you would probably strongly disagree with me with this statement, because what it's saying is, the Bible is sufficient. Now, hopefully you agree that the Bible is sufficient. But the argument here is that all things that are sufficient for us are either expressly set down in Scripture or can be deduced by Scripture, all things that are necessary for us as God's people. So in that sense, there's no need for us to go outside of Scripture for, as the confession here says, new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Now certainly uh, many of us have been guilty, or denominations have been guilty, of traditions of men. Some denominations are guilty of new revelations of the Spirit, but the point is, Scripture is sufficient for us. I think that should be the main answer to this issue of whether prophecy still exists today. But there are certainly some some other issues that we should deal with. I want to read another quote to you here, this one being from Sinclair Ferguson in his book, The Holy Spirit. Highly recommend this book. It is somewhat academic, but it's still very readable and very helpful uh, to deal with all categories that you could think of in relation to the Holy Spirit, especially the supernatural gifts. He says this, Of course, arguments from silence are slippery, but this broader silence, especially in the pastoral letters, which were clearly written to regulate post-apostolic church life, does seem to be eloquent of a shift in orientation which had already taken place from the immediacy of tongues and their interpretation to the teaching of the apostolic tradition. He has in mind here 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. He says, It is particularly noteworthy that the pastoral letters do not anticipate the necessity of regulating the exercise of such gifts as prophecy and speaking in tongues. So his argument is this. The pastoral letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, are written in anticipation of the fact that the church is soon going to exist with no more apostles. The apostles of Jesus Christ are going to be dead and gone on this earth. And because of that, the church is going to need to function without them. And his argument here, he says it is an argument from silence, but it still is a significant argument, that in the instructions given to Timothy and given to these future churches, uh, 
there's nothing said about the ongoing use of prophecy or of speaking in tongues. Instead, there is an argument to hold fast to the teaching, hold fast to doctrine. That's something I've already mentioned. But still, it's important uh, that at the very least, we can say that there is a primacy placed on doctrine and teaching in the church. So even if you want to make an argument that prophecy is still ongoing, I think you at least have to be willing to admit that you can't make the argument that prophecy is the centerpiece of the church today. I don't think it ever was, in fact. But it's still, I think, outside the bounds of Scripture to even argue um, that it, if it does function, that it's in any way uh, primal to the church. A couple things I, I want to mention here uh, in, in thinking about this. As I said, a lot of times the issue uh, of this question, does prophecy exist today, is the issue of saying the Bible doesn't explicitly say that prophecy is gone, therefore we should come to the conclusion that prophecy uh, still remains. And I don't think that that is a strong argument uh, for a few reasons. First of all, if you're making the argument that the Bible is sufficient for us, then you have to ask the question, since prophets existed before the completion of Scripture, that much is true, what was their function? Well, their function was to communicate the Word of God to His people. But we have the Word of God to His people now with the completion of the Bible. And then you say, well, sure, and the Bible is sufficient, so therefore, the way that we judge prophets today is whether or not they're in agreement with Scripture. Well, my, my argument against that would be, okay, if they agree with Scripture, what is the necessity of having them? Because whatever it is they're saying, which agrees with Scripture, is already in Scripture. So we just need scriptures. We're all the way back to, to square one with the sufficiency of scripture again. And we, we hear these, these kind of arguments made. And, and of course, you know, I say this jokingly, but my uh, reply to this argument would be, okay, but if we want to use scripture as the standard, and we also want to make the argument that scripture is primary, prophets are secondary, Therefore, we just need to judge a prophet as whether or not they agree with Scripture. Okay, well, what happens if the prophet doesn't agree with Scripture? Do we agree with Scripture and use what is said about false prophets as discipline or punishment? That is, do we stone them to death when they're wrong? I can't help but think about, in uh, the time of this recording... Uh, we are anticipating the inauguration of a new president. And regardless of what you think about the, the politics of it all, uh, there were many pastors who came out on both sides. And I say pastor somewhat loosely here uh, because I don't, I don't know that they really did uh, shepherd a particular church as much as they actually qualify themselves as prophets. So maybe I should just say self-proclaimed prophets. Uh, not necessarily pastors, said either God spoke to them in a dream and they prophesied that 
Donald Trump is going to be president for a second term in office, or that Joe Biden is definitely going to be president, uh, Trump is not going to win for a second term. So there's arguments being made on, on both sides there, and uh, prophetic predictions being made. Well, what I want to ask the question is, are any of those churches or any of those people who are under the, the teaching of these men going to hold these men uh, accountable who wrongly predicted the turnout of this and say, you are a false prophet? Well, probably not. <laughs> probably not at all. But if we're going to at least... Uh, judge these things by saying scripture is the final authority and scripture is the norm of norms, then we have to be consistent with that idea. In other words, we have to actually follow what scripture says about dealing with a false prophet. And of course, that is stoning them to death and nobody's going to do that. And I'm not advocating that you do either. My point is that we pick and choose how we want to uh, make this a part of an ongoing thing in the life of the church. Gordon and Fee both are two uh, authors and, and, and scholars. Uh, books such as How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, How to Read the Bible Book by Book, both of those are very helpful, say this. If a prophet presumed to take the office of prophet upon himself or herself, this will be cause to consider such a person a false prophet. The prophets responded to a divine call. The Hebrew word for prophet, nabi, comes in fact from the Semitic verb to call, nabu. They give a good point that a prophet is one called and appointed by God for a representative message. The Lord says, in other words, Prophecy is indeed present within the New Testament in this form, and Paul does address questions about prophecy from the Corinthian church, but the New Testament as a whole does not seem to indicate that the day-to-day -day function of the New Testament church is to be with the practice of ongoing prophecy. Nor is there any definitive addition that prophecy can give beyond what has already been given within the written word of God. I think that's a good way to think about this. Nobody can open the Bible and look for a passage that says, by this time, prophecy is going to cease. Or, at this point, prophecy is without a doubt going to continue to function in the church. There are arguments that I think some more sound than others. There are arguments on both sides of this question. But I think if we're going to maintain the fact that Scripture is indeed sufficient for all of life for Christians, that means that as Scripture is completed, as we have a whole Bible in our hands today, that the office of prophet, the formal office, has ceased with the completion of the Bible and we look to the Bible for all God has to say to us.